Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. This is Quantum of History. This is your host, Donnie Waldron. Today we're going to be doing the fun episode, the lighthearted episode. We're going to be ranking the Bond films from 24 to 1. I hear a lot of other rankings and they're all wrong. Alright, this is the only one that's right. This is the best one, I'm telling you, and it's infallible. DM me on Instagram, find me, whatever you want to do. This is the best list we've got going. So, I'm really excited to do this. Last week's episode, we tackled some tough stuff. Um, in the last couple episodes, we've been doing this with some little darker stuff. So, I'm ready to have a lighthearted episode. I don't want to get sucked into the vacuum of negativity that's going around the world today. This is our escapism. This is our fun. So, let's do one of the most fun things that we as Bond fans do. We watch the movies and we rank them. And then we debate and we tell other people how wrong they are. So without further ado, we're going to go right into the official Quantum of History James Bond movie ranking. Alright, we'll start with number 24. It's going to be A View to a Kill. And A View to a Kill is 24th by a mile. I think it is by far the worst Bond film. Usually from every other Bond film, I can take something out of it that I enjoy. Other than the location in A View to a Kill, I take nothing from this movie. The plot, it's terrible. It is by a mile the worst Bond film. I can't imagine anybody... It's the only Bond film that I find completely unwatchable. Like I can't even get through it. All the rest of them, I can watch. Even maybe if I'm in the right frame of mind or whatever, I cannot get through A View to a Kill. By far, a country mile worst bond film that they've ever made another one another one another. number 23 is die another day i actually know quite a few people who die another day is their favorite movie and i can't imagine why it just it gets off the rails the beginning of the movie i actually like i actually like how it starts out i like the cuba scene and the minute after once Halle Berry appears from that ocean it's over it goes tumbling spiraling downwards it's like a cheap b movie with terrible sound effects it's like a bad tv movie at that point the story is dumb the acting is not great Halle Berry is terrible actress even though she's beautiful she's terrible Die Another Day though does like I said from I can usually take something from every of the Bond films and Die Another Day I can take the first third of the movie I can actually like that so that's why it, it still crushes a view to a kill another one another one another. number 22 diamonds are forever I used to really the first time I ever saw Diamonds Are Forever, I was again, I was watching the movies in, in order, and I had just finished all those amazing, great mo- movies from Connery, and then I get this one, and I'm like, oh, what is this? Even the way he's dressed, the way it's portrayed, the Willard White, the Charles Gray. Charles Gray is horrific. Charles Gray should never be allowed near playgrounds, shouldn't be allowed near theaters. He shouldn't be allowed to get out of it. He should, no, he's just terrible. I, I can't imagine him, on, he's so weird on screen. And sometimes weird is good. Charles Gray is bad, bad weird. Another one, another one, another. 21 Moonraker. Moonraker has grown on me over the years. I used to think that it was terrible. Uh, the ending I still find well, when they're in a spaceship and I'm like, all right, it's cheesy. But actually, when I watch the movie from over and over and over again, I actually really enjoy the first part of the movie. The first two thirds of the movie I like. I understand, and the opening sequence is amazing. And every time I watch this, I get a little more fond of the movie. And then Jaws is Jaws. I mean, Jaws, yo, he, he actually bags a hottie. Yo, he pulls, he pulls like an eight. She's not bad. 
get rid of the pigtails and the, maybe the glasses. And I, she might be nine territory. So, you know, <laughs> I guess it's just true. Just be tall. You don't even have to be ugly. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be. Just be tall and chicks will dig you. Another one. Another one. Another. Number 20, License to Kill. License to Kill. The problem with License to Kill is that it's a Bond film. I think if you put like an American actor or anything else in there and kept that same story, it'd be a really good 80s movie. But like I said, when the dr- when drugs is the main plot line, I find it completely boring. I just cannot stand anything to do with it when the villain is, has anything to do with drugs. And James Bond is way above having to deal with cocaine dealers. Another one. Another one. Another. Number 19, Tomorrow Never Dies. I hear a lot of people say this is their favorite Brosnan film. I would definitely absolutely disagree with that one. The story is good, and then the execution is not great. And I find that Michelle Wee isn't great. I appreciate what she does, what she brings to the film. She just eh, doesn't do it for me. Terry Hatcher's ass is on point, absolutely, in that lingerie, amazing. She looks beautiful in that, but as far as like being Terry Hatcher being like the elegant, her her part is Desperate Housewives, like the kooky little neighbor. She's not the most elegant Bond's love of her love of his life. I actually like the villain or the henchman of Stuttgart. I just like I every time I'm walking around and I say Stuttgart. No one gets it, and I always find I always abuse myself. So I need to hang out with more Bond fans in real life so that I can say "Oh Stuttgart," and people get the joke. Another one, another one. Another. Number eighteen, you only live twice. You only live twice. I can get through the first part, I enjoy it, and then it really tapers off in the middle, and then the end. My God, that set piece! That set piece alone is is just incredible. It's probably the best made set piece of all the Bond film. The ending is great. It must have been a magnificent to see that on this big screen. Blowfield, John Pleasance, they really missed the mark. They really missed a chance to they had four films of build up and then to have that as your as your Blowfield, they really missed it. When I see You Only Live Twice, I see a lot of missed things. I actually like Little Nelly a lot, actually. I love that scene. I think Little Nelly is awesome. Some people da- dog on it, but I think it's the coolest thing. I want a little Nelly right in my living room to go to work every day. I would drive that thing to work every day. I'd even wear the helmet that Sean Connery wears in it. There's just a lot of plot holes. And that whole scene when he goes to the Kissy Suzuki's village, supposed to look like a Japanese person, what he actually looks like is a freshly divorced beetle who just got out of court from his custody battle over his kids. And he definitely looks like he just lost He's definitely getting every other weekend. Probably supervised visitation. Another one. Another one. Another. Number 17, The Man with the Golden Gun. Weirdly, I don't know why I like this movie, I, but I like it. I know it gets dogged on it a lot for its plot holes. It definitely has a lot of plot holes, but for some reason I like it. It grew on me. Scaramanga is really good. Knickknack's good. Roger Moore is good, and it's probably his worst performance, though. I think that he doesn't quite know how he wants to handle it. And you can tell he didn't want to hit Maude Adams. There's just some apprehension, but the scene where he points the uh, gun at the at the bullet maker's crotch, that's just some good stuff in there. Another one, another one, another Number 16, For Your Eyes Only. Now, I, I kind of feel bad putting this one this low because I do actually do like the movie. I like the plot. I really like the, the Volkswagen chase through Greece. There's a lot of good stuff in there. For some reason, it just, eh, it doesn't do that for me. I think it just falls a little flat for me, and I don't know why because everything about it I like, but... As far as watchability, it's one of my least watched films. And it'll probably, I think this is one of those films, if I look at my list and say, what's the one that will change with time? I will say, I bet you that for your eyes only, if I do this list again in two years, three years, 
for your eyes only goes up. Another one, another one. Another. Number 15, Octopussy. Another one, I lambasted in the beginning, thought the clowns were dumb, but I actually have grown to like the film, especially the beginning. Uh, and I do like the end too. There's parts of it, there's a lot of watchability. The end with the circus and that, eh. But overall, for a fun little Roger Moore romp, Octopussy, I really enjoy it. Another one, another one, another Number 14, The Spy Who Loved Me. This is the only Roger Moore film that I saw the first time. I was like, this is actually pretty awesome. It was the first one that did it. The other ones have caught up to Spy Who Loved Me and they've grown on me more. Spy Who Loved Me has kind of stayed as lukewarm for me pretty good. The only thing that has stayed red hot are Barbara Box boobs. And if you listen to this podcast from the start to finish, you know exactly my sentiments on Barbara Box cleavage in this film. Grade A, fantastic stuff. But overall, I really like the Egypt scenes. I really like the way that they pace it, everything they go. They lose me at the end with the submarine. The submarine fight and uh, the cat, uh, it just, I just can't do it. I just grab my phone and I just wait for the end. Another one, another one, another Number 13, Spectre. Another one I'm probably going to get some flack for. If you look at Spectre on the whole, the last third of the movie really lets you down. But I really actually enjoy the first two thirds of the film. The pre-title sequence is probably my favorite with the helicopter, the Day of the Dead, the, the singular shot, the way it's all done. I love Loved all of that part. And the kind of the build-up and it goes in the in the meeting. And the one scene that I find the best scene in the whole film is when Monica Bellucci thinks she, she's falling to her... Uh, she's walking to her death and she pours herself a drink and she walks and the music goes and the fading and the focus and the cinematography of everything that is beautifully shot. But the minute he utters the word cuckoo, cuckoo, everything from there, I think the writer said, all right, well... Fuck it, let's make it her let's make him his brother and let's call it a day cuz we're not, we're done we're out of ideas. Another one, another one. Another. Number 12, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, 12. Not one, not two. Put them together, it's the 12th best movie. I find that On Her Majesty's Secret Service for me is like the band U2. Okay, yeah, their songs are good. They're everything is right about their songs, but they just don't do it for me. Bono doesn't do it for me. And that's exactly how I feel about On Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the U2 of Bond films. It just, I don't know, it just doesn't grasp me the way that everybody else does. And I keep watching it thinking that I'm going to change my mind. And I just don't. Every time, I actually probably am following it. It used to be number nine for a while. And it keeps following for me. And the more I watch it, and the more plot holes I see in it. I, I, I guess I hear you. I hear everybody saying it's Casino and On Her Majesty's is their favorites. But for me... On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the U2 of the Bond films is number 12. Another one, another one, another Number 11, The World Is Not Enough. One that has really rocketed for me since it's been on uh, Netflix. I, I, I used to kind of hate the Denise Richards and used to kind of hate the whole thing. But sometimes I just want that put your brain off. Just go watch something that you don't have to think about too much. And that's exactly what the world is not enough for. That is my guilty pleasure Bond film. I love it for that reason. Electric King is my favorite Bond girl. She's my favorite Bond villain. Whatever you want to put her as, she's my favorite. I don't know. Something about French girls, man. I, I just They just do it for me. But I find her to be so captivating. And it's my favorite part of the movie is her performance. In addition to the pre-title sequence. Okay, Denise Richards. When you first have to buy her as a nuclear scientist, it doesn't work. But then when she gets to the caviar factory with Valentin Zerkovsky, you know what? Her in that pink dress, I'm sold. Sold. I definitely prefer her in the pool with Nev Campbell, 
But if I got to take her in something else, I'm fine. I- I'm fine. It's growing on me. World is not enough, number 11. Another one. Another one. Another. Number 10, Quantum of Solace. Now, if you want to tell me that Quantum of Solace is number 22, number 23, I can completely get on board with that. I understand exactly where you're coming from. But for me, satorically, stylistically, the way it's shot, I, I get the editing's a little fast in the beginning, but it kind of tapers off. There is a lot to, to, to lambast. But for me, satorically, stylistically, the way the film looks, the way that Bond acts, the way that he takes care of business, for me, I love it. That's exactly how I want my Bond to be. I always say if you mix Quantum of Solace with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, you get a perfect film. All the things that I don't like about Quantum of Solace are the things that got right in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And all the things I don't like about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, they got right in Quantum of Solace. So that's, that's, that's the problem, that they're both right there, high middle of the pack, but they're just, they just don't do it quite for me because they're missing those key components. Another one, another one, another Number nine, The Living Daylights. The first time I watched The Living Daylights, I was blown away. I expected Timothy Dalton and both those movies to be terrible based on what I heard, what I thought, the preconceived notion of what Timothy Dalton's films were. And I was so pleasantly surprised at The Living Daylights. Really great movie. The Mujahideen, I think, is in. I can't wait to talk about this one as far as our normal podcast setting. I enjoy this film much more than I thought it was going to. Timothy Dalton lacks the charm that needed to really pull off Bond. He's a little too brooding, a little too serious, a little too, bro, like, you can chill a little bit. And Living Daylights and For Your Eyes Only are probably the two that I would say may end up getting higher on my list as, as time goes on. Another one, another one, another Number eight, Live and Let Die. Number Live and Let Die is the one that is definitely taken over for The Spy Who Loved Me, as I think is Roger Moore's best film. I like, I love Jane Seymour and I love Yafet Koto. I used to love the TV show Homicide Life on the Street, so I was always a big Yafet Koto fan. He was such a good actor. And then to see him in this role as I in Bond, he was so good in it. Just like I can see Living Daylights and For Your Eyes Only moving up in the list, I can see Live and Let Die moving down the list. But for now, number eight, Live and Let Die. Another one, another one, another. Number seven, Skyfall. Now, I go back and forth between if I'm going to show a new Bond person a Bond film, is it going to be Skyfall or is it going to be Casino Royale? And the more I talk to people and like casual Bond fans or ones I have just seen a couple of movies, they say that Skyfall is their favorite one. And I'm kind of leaning towards if my age range, if I'm going to show a, a person a, a Bond film, it may be Skyfall now. Javier Verdim is great. The story is great. There's plot holes. The problem I have with it is I've seen The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight did it better. And it just feels so Dark Knighty the whole way that they, they, they play the whole thing. So that had I never, have I never seen Dark Knight before and I just had Skyfall as a standalone, I, I'm sure that Skyfall would probably be a 10. I could look past the little nuances and the little too convenient storylines to being like, all right, this is a perfect 10 film. But the problem is, again, I know that it's it's such a ripoff of The Dark Knight that I, I, I can't give it a 10. It has to stay number seven, has to stay a 9.5, and it doesn't get into my holy grail of 10s. Another one, another one, another Number six, Goldfinger. Now we're getting into the holy grail of Bond films, the ones that sets Bond apart from all other franchises, everything else. These are the six perfect 10s. They are the holy grail. They're the ones that, if I'm explaining to someone why is Bond my favorite franchise to follow these six exemplify every part of it and it's for the so many reasons the little nuance the story they're not outlandish 
They have great pacing. The bond is awesome. The style is great. Everything about these films is flawless. Another one. Another one. Another. Number five, Thunderball. I really like this movie too. It's probably my most watched between this one and Dr. No, probably my most watched Connery films. Everything about Thunderball I really love. Even the underwater scene. Because I take it think about how really amazing it is that somebody actually did all those stunts. They did this. They shot it all in the 1960s underwater. So I really appreciate the film for all that reasons. And the cat and mouse game between Lago and Connery and Domino and Fiona Volpe. Great. And Fiona Volpe is, she's probably my second draft pick in the, uh, in the uh, Bond Girl fantasy draft. Another one. Another one. Number four, Dr. No. Dr. No is my most watched Connery film. I love everything about this film from the minute he touches down on the airport and he's in the phone booth and somebody's watching him and the car chase and the who's good, who's not, the spy games going there, setting it all up, the whole, the, the hair, everything about this movie is so good. It just is 1960s espionage. I find that the 1960s movies look so much better production-wise and so less cheesy than the 1980s and 70s. I feel like the 80s movies with Roger Moore feel older than Dr. No. Something about the way they shot, the, the way that Terrence Young took care of everything, the set pieces, the care they took in production, far and beyond better than the 80s movies. So, Dr. No, number four. Another one, another one, another Number three, GoldenEye. Partly, I'm sure, because of the video game too, but this I just watched this film so many times and I love everything about it. The collection of villains, the henchmen, everything about this film is flawless. There's nothing, you can't tell me anything wrong with this movie. I love this movie. Well, okay, the, the sound effects in the beginning. It's the reason it's not number one. But the sound effects in the beginning of the car chase, okay. It's a perfect mix of lighthearted. It's the perfect mix of action, fantasy, style. And again, it has a little bit of lightheartedness that just the world needs so badly right now with everything and the movies and how dark everything's gotten and how brooding everything's gotten with the Craig era and all these movies. So GoldenEye, number three, could be number one, except for that soundtrack in the beginning. Another one, another one. Another. Number two, From Russia, we live. This, is the, this was the movie where I was like, this is, I watched all the films from 1 to 24 over again the second I saw from Rushwood Love I was hooked I love the book I love everything about the story how I can be captivated inside a train absolutely on the edge of my seat what's going to happen what's going to happen trying to follow everything the spy games the suspense the thrill it feels so real it feels so suspenseful it feels like everything that happens it actually could happen or it feels like I probably actually one point did happen. And for a long time, it was my number one movie of all time. There's just one that's going to take over. And I you know, said it drives me nuts, but I, it just is. It's the best film. I think there's no argument about anybody else about what number one is. Another one. Another one. Another. Casino Royale. I don't think that anybody that's a Bond fan, I haven't heard anybody that doesn't put Casino Royale as number one or number two. I hear On Her Majesty's, I hear Goldeneye, I hear other, lots of other ones, but always right up there is Casino Royale. It's the perfect film. Everything about it is flawless. There's no point in, in arguing anymore. I think we all agree Casino Royale is the one that they got the best right. Vesper is probably everybody's favorite. Bond Girl 2, the scene on the train, I think is the most iconic scene and the best dialogue of all the film where Vesper and, and Bond first meet. And I think that that's exactly... 
If I could say, what do I want out of all my Bond films? I want a scene like that. That's the scene in the movie where no matter what I'm doing, no matter what's going on, I put my phone down, I put whatever's going on down, and I sit there and I just watch and appreciate every single second of that film. Perfectly shot, perfectly acted, perfectly done. So without a doubt, unequivocally, and no doubt, number one, Casino Royale. So it was really fun to just do that, get it out, and like I said, hopefully you guys like it, enjoy it. I hope that I have the voice for somebody. I hope somebody's like, thank God somebody said the Honor Majesty isn't that great. Thank God somebody says Gold Knight is that great. So that's the fun. Like I said, you can see anybody. I know people that literally say Diamonds Are Forever are their favorite ones. And I've heard people that say that Vudu Kill is their favorite one, which, I mean, I don't know how we could ever be friends if Vudu Kill is your favorite one. But, but, but that's the fun of it. You know, that, that's why we, that's part of being Bond and part of the, bond of the community is to uh, discuss these and debate these topics. Now we're going to get into the spoilers for no, no Time to Die, and I'm just going to briefly touch upon them and, and what I think about what happened. So if you want to stop the listing right now, go ahead, stop, stay spoiler-free. I'm going to be quick with this. So thank you for stopping in. Thank you for coming in. This was Quantum of History. Thank you so much. Now, if you're here for the, the spoilers and you want to talk about it, you hear my take on it. Here we go. As far as Bond being a father to Matilda, that's fine. I'm fine with that plot. And I think that we have to understand as Bond in the Bond community and, the, and being Bond fans, being Bond fanatics that we are, is that we're pretty. We're a big community, but we're a small community in the big thing. And I think that the hardest pill to swallow for us Bond fans is that we really don't matter. You know, they're trying to get into the billions dollars range. They're trying to make these films get a billion dollars of revenue and you know who's not going to get a billion dollars of revenue catering to us bond fanatics it's a hard pill to swallow i know it sucks for me too to think about it but at the end of the day we don't fucking matter we just don't they appreciate us i guess for what we are thank god we're here try to keep the series going but we're a small community in relativity to what they're trying to do they're trying to hit that b word and they're not going to do that catering to us and i think if they placate to us too much you end up with the Star Wars saga, which instead of actually coming up with anything original or coming up with anything fun, they simply catered to a bunch of nostalgia nerds. No, go do something original. We have to just be open-minded and accept change and don't always try to hold on to. Quit, let the DB5 die, please. <laughs> I love the DB5, but we can let it go, guys. We can let that DB5 go. So if you want to use it as like a timeline, we, heard the, we saw how Bond started. We saw how Bond progressed. And now we're seeing how Bond's going to end. And I think that that's actually opens the door for us to have a lot of other cool adventures and stop having timeline and everything else. If we stop it now and this is the end, this is the Bond's end adventure, then we can pl- play around with the rest of it. We can play around with going back in period pieces. We can go back to the 80s, 90s. We can go back to the 60s, 50s. We can have standalone adventures. We can have just basic movies just like it used to be so that Craig gets his ending that he's supposed to have. Now, the other thing as I heard that I vehemently do not want to see his bond die again i just don't want him to fall into the trend of what's been going on lately with bond sacrificing himself for the daughter i don't want to see that I do not want to see bond die i want to go to the movie theater to have a good time i do not want to leave the movie theater seeing my hero that i love so much die i just don't want to see it 
I'm sure that it happens. I'm sure that it could make for a riveting thing. And, and, and again, it's that hard pillow to swallow that this is a film for people who probably have seen one, maybe two Bond films. They've probably seen Skyfall. I mean, that's what they. That's what it is. This, Craig era is ruining the Bond fanaticism because they're taking so long to get these movies out. They're taking so long to crank these movies out to get any kind of following that it's like you have an entire generation that's grown up and has no idea that Bond used to come out every two years or Bond is like an event that, that comes out. This is a now twice in a decade. Yeah, that's uh, unacceptable. Unacceptable for me. So I hope that whatever they do, they don't kill them off. I hope that I think the time that Barbara Broccoli runs this is over. I think they're willing to sell it. I don't want to see it to go to Disney because my God, those Marvel movies to me, Marvel is Applebee's. My God, it's just you know what? It's safe. You know what you're gonna get, but you're not gonna get that next level of my God. This is really prophetic. This is, this is like an epiphany. This is everything I want it to be. All you're gonna get is cookie cutter Disney. Applebee's. You're going to get the Buffalo Wild Wings, which are good, but eh. And that's what Disney movies, that's what Marvel is. It's just placating, just feeding the masses fast food. And I hope that that's not what the Bond series gets into. I hope it gets sold to someone, not Disney. I hope it gets to someone who has innovative thoughts, who wants to take risk, and who's willing to go and push Bond back to just being what he is. And that's a, a misogynist a misogynist, flawed human being who struggles with demons, who gets hurt, but also who somehow finds a way to get to kiss the girl, sail off, and you leave the movie theater with a good feeling. Because my God, that's what I—that's what we need so much now. I hope that going forward, if it does get sold, it goes to someone who cares about the franchise, and I don't want it to see it. I do not want to see it go to streaming service. I just don't want to. At some point, some things are just left to be special. But that's what it is. We are look, we're looking at Bond as special as an event. And if you start to go to streaming services and you get like shows like The Punisher, they're supposed to be dark and brooding. Yeah, they're good, but they're so cheesy. They get so... The writing goes down, the style gets down, the production goes down. I just don't want to see that. I want Bond to still be the upper echelon, the king of kings. I want him on the big screen. I want him in movies and books. That's it. Don't give me streaming service. Don't give me a TV show. Don't give me Bond cartoons. Don't give me any of that stuff. Keep him exactly what he is, the cream of the crop. And spoilers, my God. I mean, it's so hard to avoid. It's, it's become such cliche. But I was literally turning on my car to to leave work at 2.30 in the morning. And as I turn my car on, the radio instantly starts. And the first thing that comes on before I can even change it goes, and James Bond's going to have a daughter named Tilda. And it was, I was like, I couldn't believe it was on terrestrial radio just just blurting out big story plots and big spoilers. And I just like, I couldn't believe it. So then it was spoiled for me. So I figured I might as well touch upon this. And then I explored more. And I just hope I can deal with the daughter. I cannot deal with him dying. Just, just don't. And then it becomes, it's hard to even go back from that. And I don't want him to be pigeonholed. Because once you kill him, you, you kill him. And it's not Superman that can be dipped in water for some reason and come back to life. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for hanging out. This has been Quantum of History. This has been episode 11, the bonus episode, the Bond rankings. Feel free to follow me on Instagram at Quantum of History. Listen in, debate me, figure out what you like. And anybody who likes Honor Majesty Service as their favorite film, please, it's my, it's my mission in life to understand why these people think it's their favorite movie. All right, guys, thank you so much. Go out there, enjoy your life, and be positive.